0: Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 216 of the GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. Coming up in this week's episode, we have news that the ICO has found that the UK Ministry of Defence and Home Office ignored data subject access requests. venture over to Australia where we have an update on the Optus data breach, which we first mentioned to you last week here on the GFL Weekly Show. We then have news of how hackers are helping in protests against Iran. We then travel to Canada with news of a data breach at the Canadian Border Agency, and then to Washington State in the USA, where Seattle Children's Hospital was at a data breach. We then return to the UK, where a survey finds that older borrowers are reluctant to share their financial information online, and we then travel to Switzerland, where the Swiss government has completed its review of data protection laws. And then finally, this week, we have news that the US UK data access agreement is finally coming into force from next Monday, from Monday the 3rd of October 2022. So we have some notes on what you should do and how that might affect your own data transfers. So there's always a wide range of articles for you in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. We hope that you find the information in the articles useful really and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweekishow.com. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. We begin this week the news that the ICO, the UK's Data Protection Regulator, has taken action against seven public and private sector organisations for failing to meet their obligations under GDPR and the UK Data Protection Act 2018. UK organisations must respond to requests by members of the public for personal information, known as data subject access requests, within one to three months. Indeed, it's recommended that data subject access requests should be responded to within 30 days, unless there are exceptional circumstances why more time is required. However, after receiving multiple complaints about the urban organisations, the ICO was forced to step in. The seven organisations have all been issued with reprimands which should be escalated to more serious regulatory action if conditions are not met. Several of the organisations were also given a practice recommendation under the Freedom of Information Act 2000, which should lead to an enforcement notice if ignored. The organisations involved are the UK Ministry of Defence, which has a current Data Subject Access Request backlog of 9,000 cases, meaning individuals are waiting more than 12 months for their information. The UK Home Office, which hasn't responded to 21,000 data subject access requests within the statutory time frame. The London Borough of Croydon, which responded to less than half of its data subject access requests within statutory time frames between April 2020 and April 2021. Kent Police, which responded to 60% of subject access requests on time between October 2020 and February 2021. However, some outstanding requests have taken over 18 months to process. The London Borough of Hackney, which didn't respond to over 60% of their subject access requests within the required time frame. The London Borough of Lambus, which responded to only 53% of subject access requests within the legally required time frame. And the only private company to make the list, Virgin Media, which didn't respond to 14% of the subject access requests it's received on time over a six-month period in 2021. Information Commissioner John Edwards said the ICO would be providing citizens and organisations with support to streamline the data subject access request process. This includes developing a subject access request generator to help people identify where their personal information is likely to be held and how to request it, at the same time as providing information to the organisation regarding what is required from them, he said. We expect all information requests to be handled appropriately and in a timely manner. This encourages public trust and confidence and it ensures organisations stay on the right side of the law. For Virgin Media, a spokesperson said, We apologise that our handling of subject access requests last year was not to the standard it should have been. We have since put measures in place which have significantly improved our performance, and we will continue to carefully monitor this. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you listened to last week's episode of the Digital Weekly Show, you have heard us mention the data breach at Optus in Australia. This week, more details have emerged about that data breach. Optus said that hackers had accessed the personal information of an undisclosed number of its customers, including names, dates of birth, phone numbers, email addresses, driver's licence numbers and passport numbers. However, the breach did not compromise customers' bank account information, payment details or account passwords. Optus began notifying impacted customers by SMS and email and reported the latest hack to the Australian Federal Police. Additionally, the company coordinated with the Australian Cyber Security Centre to mitigate anticipated security risks. Optus also reported the incident to the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner and also notified the main financial institutions. Optus, based in Macquarie Park, north of Sydney in Australia, is a subsidiary of Singaporean telecoms giant Singtel and has a customer base in Australia of around 10 million subscribers. Optus did not disclose the total number of customers impacted by the cyber attack. However, the company's CEO, Kelly Bayer-Roseman, suggested a worst-case scenario where 9.8 million of the 10 million Optus customer accounts, which would be equivalent to about 40% of the population of Australia, had been compromised. According to the Ministry of Cybersecurity, Claire O'Neill, basic personal information of 9.8 million people was accessed, while extensive personal data for another 2.8 million was exposed. Even worse, the Optus cyber attack impacted former customers of the company because it's obliged to store verification records for six years after someone ceases to be a customer. Optus has offered affected customers 12 months of free credit monitoring services with Acrofax to protect them from identity fraud. Additionally, Optus customers should take additional measures to protect themselves from fraud by monitoring their bank account and credit card statements for any suspicious activity. Data breach victims should also remain vigilant for phishing attacks attempting to steal personal data by pretending to be OPTUS support staff. OPTUS 4 warned its customers that breach notification messages would not include any link to prevent hackers from further taking advantage of the situation. OPTUS has attributed the intrusion to an unnamed foreign threat actor whose IP address hopped across unspecified European countries. Meanwhile, a threat actor identifying themselves as OPTUS Data claimed responsibility for the attack and published 100 records of stolen data on the popular hacking platform Breach Forums. They demanded a $1 million ransom in Monero cryptocurrency, threatening to publish all 11.2 million records in batches. Subsequently, the threat had to release the first batch of 10,000 records, promising to release more until Optus complied with its request. However, the attacker unexpectedly changed their mind, citing too many eyes and promising not to sell or publish any more data. Additionally, they apologised to 10,200 customers who had been exposed and Optus for scraping the database, claiming they, they had no way of reporting the data breach. It is believed that the data breach occurred because of an unsecured API access point. If we receive any more information on this from Optus or from the Australian regulators, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next of episode of the GGPAL Weekly Show. Several hacktivist groups are using Telegram and other tools to aid anti-government protests in Iran, to bypass regime censorship restrictions amid ongoing unrest in the country following the death of Marza Amini in custody. Key activities are data leaking and selling, including officials' phone numbers and emails, and maps of sensitive locations. It's believed that proxies and open VPN servers are being shared to get around censorship and reports on the internet status in the country, with one group helping the anti-government demonstrators across social media sites. Chief amongst them is a Telegram channel called Official Atlas Intelligence Group that primarily focuses on publishing data associated with government officials, as well as maps of locations. Calling itself a cyber army, the group is said to have commenced its operations in May and has also advertised their wide range of services in the past, such as data leaks, distributed denial of service attacks, and remote access to organisations. It's also known to voluntarily hunt and expose paedophiles. According to CyberInt, the cyber mercenary actor also claims to have connections with people in several law enforcement entities in Europe who can deliver sensitive information about certain individuals exclusively. A second group is called Arvin, which consists of about 5,000 members and shares news reports about the ongoing protests, along with providing a list of open VPN servers to circumvent internet blockages. Red Blue... A 4,000-member group on Telegram has also pitched in with similar efforts in addition to sharing hacking conversations and guides. Purposefully focused messaging app Signal, for its part, has reached out to its community to set up a proxy that will help people in the country use the service on Android. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com to Canada now and the federal privacy watchdog says a data breach that a contractor for Canada's border agency involved as many as 1.38 million license plate images and associated information. In a report detailing its investigation, the privacy commissioner's office cites inconsistencies in the way that the Canada Border Services Agency manages license plate information and a lack of security measures. It highlights the absence of adequate contractual clauses to ensure the border agency's private sector partner was properly protecting the information. The report, though completed in May, was released on Thursday in the Canadian Parliament as part of Privacy Commissioner Philippe de Frisny's annual report. The watchdog initiated a complaint and began its probe following 2019 media reports of a cyber attack on a US-based third-party contractor used by both the Canadian border agency and its American equivalent. At the time, Canada's border agency told the Privacy Commissioner that the breach included approximately 9,000 photos of licence plates selected from travellers entering Canada at the Cornwall, Ontario border crossing. The investigation revealed that the number of Canadian border agency licence plates image files compromised in the breach was actually much higher. It's believed that up to 1.38 million were breached, including Jupiters. The report says that of those, about 11,000 had been posted on the dark web. It also found that the image files included metadata containing relevant province or state associated with the license plate, the date and time the image was taken, and the numerical code representing the border crossing site along with the lane number. The border agency told the data commissioner it did not consider the license plate images to be personal information. However, the report says the agency's assessment did not take into account the associated metadata revealing time, date, and location. The Privacy Watch Dolk found that the files did amount to personal information under the Privacy Act for some of the individuals. Although some personal details, for example medical records and financial data, are always considered to be sensitive, any personal information can be sensitive, depending on the context. This investigation highlights the value of programme, contracting and privacy specialists working together to assess if the information being collected in the delivery of programmes and services is considered personal information and to direct contracts with appropriate privacy clauses to protect it, the report says. The Commission's Office ultimately concluded the self-initiated complaint was well-founded as the border agency contravened provisions of the privacy law concerning disclosure of information. The Office recommended that the border agency review its contract with the service provider to make it clear that licence plate image files constitute personal information and therefore require appropriate safeguards for storage use, access and destruction. The Commissioner says an important lesson in the case is that privacy obligations apply whether the data is processed by a government agency or a private sector contractor acting on its behalf. The Commissioner considers the complaint to be resolved based on the Board of response to the probe and acceptance of the regulator's recommendations. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. Washington State in the US now and Seattle Children's Hospital is alerting patients about a ransomware attack at a mail service vendor that has compromised the protected health information of 6,750 patients. In June, the mail service vendor, Kay Smith, learned that an unauthorized individual had gained access to information on its systems. The breach resulted in unauthorized access to patient information from Seattle Children's Hospital according to a September twenty-second breach notification. The information compromise included names, addresses, provider names, medical record numbers, visits, lab information, guarantor numbers, and the names of insurance carriers. There's no evidence that the information compromise has been misused, according to the hospital. The hospital said it's working with the vendor to evaluate the new safeguards it's putting in place in order to mitigate any further unauthorized access. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Back to the UK now, and just 9% of over-55s went online to search for quotes when they signed their last mortgage, held back by the fear that their data security would be breached, says a report by Contact State. This compares with 17% of all adults who went online to compare mortgage and equity-release quotes. The study adds that 46% of over-55s went straight to their bank, and 63% of this group only got one quote before taking out a loan. Older borrowers' reluctance to go online to compare details stems from concerns about who has access to their data, the report says. Overall, 62% of over-55s say they have reservations about sharing personal and financial details online to get a mortgage quote, including 30% who have reservations when it comes to sharing their phone number. The report points out that this residence is understandable, as 73% of over 55s say they have been targeted by cold callers over the past year, with 30% adding they have been told more than 10 times. Amongst this group, 58% said receiving told calls left them feeling angry, especially as 63% added they had no idea how the caller got hold of their phone number. One in seven of over 55 feel they have been forced to share their data online when looking for financial products such as mortgages or insurance, and 52% add that when they do share their data online, they're not confident they know who's has access to it. The report says one in eight of this age group has had a negative experience when getting a financial product or professional service online, with the top issue being contacted by a company other than the one they'd submit their details to. In this older group, 84% said you'd be unhappy if they submit their details to one company and were called by another, with 96% adding they would be worried about the security they they if that had happened. Over 55% say other online concerns include financial product or service pages that are not clear enough, just over one in five of the older borrowers, had an negative experience when getting a quote, said, I wanted an online quote but was called instead. While 19% said, it was unclear that I would have to submit details to receive a quote. Overall, 39% of over 55s are less willing to share their data online than they were five years ago. And despite the huge shift to digital financial services, 69% had they would still rather not go online if they wanted to remortgage again. Contact States poll was carried out by Data Group Opinion Research between the 4th and 12th of July this year among 5,000 UK adults weighted to be nationally representative. To Switzerland now, and data protection has been given special status within the framework of Swiss labour law. The law says that the employer may only process data about the employee insofar as it relates to the employee's suitability for his job or as necessary for the performance of the employment contract. Thus, an employer may only use or install information on the employee's person, documents on education and training, as well as professional experience, if they're closely related to the employment relationship in question. Complementary to this, the provisions of the Data Protection Act apply. In its autumn 2020 session, Swiss Parliament passed the new Data Protection Act. It improves the process in personal data and grants Swiss citizens' new rights. Swiss laws compatible with the European law, and in particular with GDPR, is one of the main challenges. The new Data Protection Act should guarantee the free flow of data within the European Union and thus avoid the loss of competitiveness of Swiss companies. On August 31, 2022, the Federal Council decided that the new Data Protection Act should enter into force on September 1st, 2023. At the same time, the Federal Council also adopted the new Ordinance on Data Protection Certifications. With this, the legislative work on the revision of the Swiss Data Protection Law is complete. Wish it was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR weekly show, you know that we've spoken in the past about the US-UK Data Access Agreement, a first of its kind reciprocal agreement between the US and the UK. Under the agreement, law enforcement agencies in either country could obtain stored electronic data from a communication service provider in the other country for the purpose of countering serious crime via a much-streamlined process, thereby overhauling the infamously sluggish mutual legal assistance process. Out of what seems like an interminable wait, the UK and US governments announced that they intend to bring the agreement into force on 3 October 2022, at which point substantial volume of electronic data in the US will become available to UK law enforcement agencies and vice versa. So this brings about a number of things which you should know in order to prepare for the imminent launch date. first thing to say is that companies most likely to receive an overseas production order, an OPO, are CSPs, either in the US from UK law enforcement or vice versa. Broadly speaking, that means any private entity that provides the public the ability to communicate, process or store computer data via a computer or telecommunication system or which processes or stores relevant covered data on behalf of such an entity. Therefore, OPOs could be served on a huge variety of tech and communications firms in both the US and the UK, including cloud storage companies, social media providers and messaging platforms. While the agreement is reciprocal, it is anticipated that a bulk of the OPOs, will flow from UK law enforcement to US CSPs. Few UK CSPs hold data of interest to the US. Recipients of an OPO issued by the UK will have as a default just seven days to produce the data stipulated to the UK authorities. While it's likely that many of the recipients will request extensions, it's highly advisable for them to act quickly. Failure to comply with the order may render the recipient and in certain circumstances the director or officer of the recipient in contempt of court. In addition, failure to comply with an OPO may attract publicity and reputational damage. Now, of course, UK and US recipients with do business in the EU and are subject to the GDPR will need to assess whether they have a legal basis for sharing personal data with the law enforcement authorities submitting the OPO. UK CSPs receiving an OPO from US authorities will need to assess whether the transfer of personal data to the US can be done in accordance with the requirements of UK GDPR and applicable case law. US CSPs receiving an OPO from UK authorities will not initially have the same concerns in light of the adequacy decision that the EU has granted to the UK. However, of course, should that adequacy be removed at some point in the future, let's suppose we propose changes to GDPR in the UK by the UK Data Reform Bill, then US companies would also need to assess whether the transfer of personal data to the UK could be done in accordance with the requirements of GDPR and any new applicable case law. It's expected that OPOs may and will be challenged on a significant number of different grounds, including for breach of data protection laws and to determine the applicability of US and UK legal privilege protections. The primary venue to challenge OPOs sent by UK law enforcement will be the courts of England and Wales, and it's likely the challenges will be made at the same time in the US. Any parties served with an OPO are encouraged to seek legal advice as soon as possible to ensure suitable steps are taken to challenge the OPO if necessary, and ultimately to assist in successful compliance with the OPO and balance the various competing interests wherever possible. Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is a insurability production. Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should be not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances. Until next time, bye bye!